0: wonderful knowledge that a child a baby born in bethlehem changed the world god let us feel and understand what it means to experience that christmas morning where you intervened in history and god let us worship and let our lives be changed this morning for it's your name we pray amen you can have a seat well, hey, good morning. It is great to see you guys this morning. Hope you're having a great day already. And uh, I want to just start by celebrating a couple of things first. And uh, before we even get into our message or passage or anything like that, we had some good news that took place this week for a few people on our staff. And so uh, I want to just kind of bring that to light. Uh, actually, two different people on our staff got engaged this week. How cool is that? So uh, if you haven't already heard the news, the uh, the first lucky couple, fortunate couple, blessed couple, I don't know how we want to pronounce this, but it actually made Facebook news, so I'm assuming it's okay to share this with you this morning. But uh, our very own Brent and Jan uh, got engaged this past week. Brent actually came to church in his pajamas this morning. And so you want to stand up and show us your ensemble today? Yeah, look at that. Um, and so I told him earlier in the week when he asked if he could do that, he's helping with our children's ministry. And he said, hey, can I wear my pajamas into the service? And I said, man, do you sleep through most of the services anyway. You might as well be comfortable while you're doing it. And so, uh, so Brent's uh, doing that. And then last night, I got a picture on my phone, a text from uh, from our connections coordinator here at the church, Ryan Kaiser. Uh, he and uh, and Kristen got engaged last night, and so we are so excited. Um, I don't know what's in the water here at our church, but staff is all getting engaged and stuff, so that's exciting. But we are so thrilled for you guys and and can't wait to celebrate uh, upcoming marriages and all those kinds of things. So, uh, Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, let's continue to celebrate together. Luke chapter 1 is what we're going to be looking at. Yeah, you can celebrate that too. Luke chapter 1, and we are going to be in verse 26 in just a few minutes as we start looking at the story of, uh, of Mary this morning. But if you are a country music fan then you'll know this guy that I'm about to talk about. His name is Travis Tritt. Anybody Travis Tritt fans in the room, a couple of you? All right, fantastic. I have to be honest with you, I'm not a huge country music fan, but uh, from everything I know about this guy, he's a pretty good guy. And so Travis Tritt, uh, he's made a name for himself playing everything from southern rock to bluegrass to your just kind of basic country music, and so he's very well known all over. But uh, as a performer, he was doing an interview one time, and a guy asked him, uh, he revealed a little known fact about his early years. If you know anything about the music industry you have to kind of pay your dues to get to the place where you're as famous and well-known as Travis Tritt. So you have to play these little bars and whatever and kind of just the music scene in Nashville. And, and so he was talking about a time where he was playing this uh, this just dive kind of, kind of place, and he said that, that a fight broke out, and sometimes those things just get dangerous. And so he said this, once in a bar... Uh, Travis Tritt was working on something, and he tried something that worked so well that it became his standard response when fights started. Travis Tritt said, just when things started getting out of control, when bikers were reaching for their pull cues and rednecks were reaching for the gun rack, I'd start playing Silent Night. It didn't matter if it was the middle of July. I didn't care. Tritt said, as he played, grown men would stop everything and calm down. Sometimes, he said, they'd even start crying, standing there watching me sweat and play Christmas carols. And so he used music of Christmas to help bring peace and calm to crazy situations. Music has a a way to do that. I was reminded of a story also that took place, I believe it was in World War II, where on Christmas Eve, in the middle of intense fighting, the battle lines just stopped. And in the middle of those, uh, those battle lines, that one side of the American army began singing, Silent Night. And it wasn't long before they heard from the foxholes on the other side of the field, the German military starting to sing with them Silent Night. And for that one evening in World War II, there was peace on the battlefield. And the music of Christmas changed the scene. And so really that's what we're talking about through this series. Music has the ability to shift our emotions and to help us come to terms with the reality of the things that are taking place all around us. I can remember uh, my freshman year in high school, my grandfather passed away. It was the first person in my family that I uh, knew of that that, uh, had had died. And for the first time in my young life, I remember the emotions of that and and knowing someone who I loved so deeply that that had had suddenly passed away and gone on to be with Christ. And and I remember in those moments of feeling just despair and depression and, and, uh, and pain that a friend of mine gave me a CD. Uh, and it was by a band, a Christian band called Truth. And uh, Truth had a song called If You Could See Me Now. And in the middle of this song, it's written from the perspective of someone who has died and who has gone on to heaven. And they're actually trying to communicate back to the people that are loved by them who are left here on earth. And they're saying, if you could only see what I'm experiencing, you wouldn't want me to come back. You wouldn't pray and ask God to send me back. You wouldn't want me to be anywhere but here. And I can just remember the lyrics of that song, if you could see me now, that you would know all of my pain's been erased. And it helps me cope so much with a a tragedy in my life, of my grandfather's death. And it's in the moments of things like that that we see that there is power behind songs there's power in the lyrics of music and that's why we're looking this year at the music of christmas all around the birth of jesus all throughout the narrative story of luke chapters 1 and 2 you see songs unfold last week we looked at the song of Zechariah. Zechariah was the father of john the baptist and when Zechariah was told that uh, he would have a son, he didn't believe the angel at first, and so the angel said, okay, Gabriel said, you're going to be silent and mute for, uh, until your child's born. And then on, uh, on the week that his child was born, on the eighth day when they took him to the temple to have him circumcised and the name the child, and he finally wrote down, this child's name will be John, his mouth opened up and God allowed him to speak, and the Spirit of God fell on, on Zechariah, and he began to prophesy and sing. And he sang out this song about his son and who he would be as the forerunner of the Messiah, the one who is coming from God. And then the narrative of Mary that we're going to look at this morning, that Mary sings a song that we know as we call it the Magnificat. And so we're going to take a look at that. But then next week we'll look at the shepherd song. And when Jesus is born, the angels show up on the fields of the shepherds and they begin to sing out to the shepherd's glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And so we see this music unfold all throughout the Christmas story that it just unravels and it reveals what God is doing and who God is. And the reason that I think that the music of Christmas is so special is because it connects us to the message of Christmas. And if you're taking notes this morning and you like to follow along uh, either on the YouVersion Bible app or on your notes, you can just write that down, that the music of Christmas helps us connect with the message of Christmas. That God is doing a great work in this world. And that as people sing about His activity, that it helps us to understand who He is and what He's doing. And so, before we get to the message of the song this morning, I want us to look at the story of Mary. And so if you have your Bibles again, take a look at Luke chapter 1, starting verse 26. And it says this, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, last week we looked at Elizabeth. Elizabeth is the wife of Zechariah, the mother of John the Baptist. And so it says, when she's six months pregnant, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin that was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, who was a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel said to her and uh, went to her and said, greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And the angel answered, "The Lord, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. When Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have uh, even Elizabeth, your relative is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant," Mary answered. "May your words to me be fulfilled." And then the angel left her. So what we start to see in Mary's story as this unfolds is that you have an unsuspecting girl who an angel shows up to. And just like we said last week, when an angel shows up, it's terrifying, it's scary. And we know from the very beginning this time, last week we didn't get who the angel is until later in the story when he told Zechariah, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. This time we know from the very beginning that God sent the angel Gabriel to Mary. And so Gabriel shows up. He is the messenger of God. He comes to tell Mary good news. And he shows up and he stands in her presence and he just says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And then the text says, But Mary was troubled at his words. The Greek word there is diatroso, which means that she was perplexed or confused. When you think about that word troubled, I mean, imagine what you would feel if an angel showed up in the room and just said, hey, greetings to you, you are highly favored by God. this it says that she was perplexed or confused. What is this message? Who are you? How did you get in here, maybe, was even a thought. Like, what are you doing in my room, kind of thing. And she's perplexed, she's troubled, she's confused at all of this. But the angel, you know, when I think about this, I wonder if Mary started to think, what have I done to find favor with God? I mean, that was the message. Blessed are you, you've found favor with God. Can you imagine Mary in that moment going, what, what did I do? To have been shown favor from God. Or maybe the question even was, what did I do to deserve God's favor? I mean, how did how did this message come to me? That I'm blessed by God? What in the world are you talking about? I mean, I think about the fact in my life that God's given his favor to me. And as a follower of Christ, that I've been shown grace that's undeserved and unmerited. And there are so many times when I look at my life and I know how sinful I am, and I know the consequences of sin, and I know the damaging effects of that, that I think, God, why in the world do you love me? What did I ever do to deserve this gift of salvation, this grace that you show? And I wonder if you would ever feel the same way, that you think about your life, and you look through the lens of of your sinfulness, and yet you see your Savior, you have a relationship with Jesus, and you know that you didn't deserve that salvation through Him. And so there's maybe times that you look at this and go, God, why did you choose me? Why did you save me? What have I done to deserve this? And the simple answer is nothing. That you didn't do anything. That I didn't do anything. That's what we're going to see in Mary's song later is that there is an amazing grace that's shown to us by God. And so we're going to explore that a little bit further in just a few minutes. But that's exactly where Mary's mind is. When the angel shows up, she's troubled. But the angel has great news for her. Look at the next verse, verse 30. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were responsible for choosing the mother of the King of Kings, who would you choose? If you could look out over the surface of the entire world and go, I have the king of kings, the savior of the world. God is going to take on human flesh. I'm going to come and be birthed into this world through a woman. What kind of person would you look for? Probably someone of high esteem. Probably someone of, of wealth. Maybe someone of great class and integrity. Well, God tends to do things differently than we do things. And so when we find Mary, here's what we know about Mary. Mary that Mary was a young, probably teenage girl, maybe as young as 13 or 14 years old historically. That she was young, that she was from a poor, insignificant village. And so you see Mary, and she's already got multiple strikes against her. I mean, you're not who we would think of, high society, high class, wealthy from a great family or great town. You're not from New York City. You're from Nazareth. I mean, later on in the Gospels, one of Jesus' first disciples says, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, like this is a place that people look at and go, that's not a significant place at all. Nothing good ever comes from there. And so when we see Mary, we look at this and we go, man, you know what? It's funny because God chooses people like Mary all the time in Scripture. And so if you've ever thought about yourself, and I'm just an insignificant person. There's no way God could ever do anything through me. There's no way God would ever choose to do anything through me. Why would God ever use someone like me to accomplish his plans? Or to do something great for his kingdom? If you've ever thought that, the truth is and the answer is is that God most always chooses people like that to accomplish his plan. God doesn't look at the mighty and the strong. He looks at people like David. He says, hey, don't look at a person's exterior because I look at their hearts. So I know what's inside. And David is a man after my own heart. He might be the youngest. He might be the smallest. He might be nobody special in this family. But he's the one I'm choosing to become king. Mary might look like the youngest. She might look insignificant. She's a nobody from nowhere. And yet God says, that's who I want to be the mother of my child. That's who I want taking on this special assignment of raising the Messiah why we're going to talk about why in just a few minutes but last week when we looked at the story of Zechariah, gabriel told him he would become a father even though he and his wife were old and elizabeth was had been barren her entire life so when Zechariah got the news i'm going to be a dad i mean what are you talking about my wife's old and i'm old and she's been barren her entire life how are you going to do this in fact zachariah says how can i be sure of this i'm an old man and my wife is well along in years And so Zechariah immediately starts questioning Gabriel. How in the world? What are you talking about? How can I be sure of this? And you remember what the angel's response was? Okay, well, since you don't believe me, how about you don't get to talk for the next nine months? You're going to be mute for nine months. How's that for let's see if you can figure it out? You don't get to talk. You won't get to say anything until my words come true. Until you start to believe and you actually see it with your own eyes, no talking. No talking. Now, when we think about Zechariah and the angel's response to her, then we look at Mary, we see that Mary has a question too. I mean, Look at verse 34. She says to Gabriel, How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And here's Gabriel's answer, verse 35. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And he points back at Elizabeth. He says, Even Elizabeth, your relative... Is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is now in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Now, here's the question I'd pose to you this morning. Zachariah says, Hey, how's this going to be? And Gabriel says, Okay, no more talking for you. Mary says, Hey, how is this going to be? I'm a virgin. Why doesn't Gabriel strike her with muteness? Why doesn't he say, Oh, you don't believe me either? Well, then, no talking for you too. Why isn't that the response? Well, here's what I think the difference is. In Zachariah's response, I think that there was doubt. In Mary's response, I don't think she's doubting. I don't think she's asking questions uh, of unbelief. I don't think she's asking questions of logistics. I think she's looking at Gabriel and going, uh, you may not know this, but I'm a virgin, and you may not know how, I mean, you're an angel. I don't know if you know how human babies are born. I don't know, uh, but this is my situation. So how is God going to do this? It's not, what are you talking about? How can God do something crazy like that? I don't believe you. It's like, okay, how? And Gabriel simply answers and says, the Holy Spirit will come on you and God will overshadow you and you'll become pregnant. And Mary, in her question of logistics, when she gets the answer, she just simply says, I'm your servant. Let it be as you say. She doesn't doubt. She doesn't question She just takes Gabriel at his word. She goes, if that's the method, if that's the form, if that's how God does these things with virgin women and to get them pregnant, then let it be. And so for us today, here's what we can take from Mary and her situation. That when God comes to us and says, hey, I have something big for you. I've got something I want to ask you to do. Here's something that I'm going to put in front of you, an opportunity, a challenge. It's going to be a kingdom work. And I'm choosing you to accomplish my kingdom's purposes. Instead of us saying, how, why, what are you talking about? No, we need to ask the question that Mary asked. The logistics question. How do you plan on doing that? And then wait for God to reveal the answer. Now here's what's great. When we start to see the activity of God in the world, it's not uncommon for people to ask these questions of logistics. But once God gives us the answer, our response needs to be like Mary. I'm your servant, let it be as you said. If you think back to the Old Testament with Moses, when God came to Moses while he was in the desert tending sheep, do you remember the story? A bush catches on fire, but it's not being consumed by the fire. Moses sees it and he walks up toward it. God says, hey Moses, take off your feet for this is holy ground. You're standing in the presence of my holiness. And so Moses draws near to the bush and as he does, God starts to say, I'm sending you to go to Egypt and I want you to have my people brought out of Egypt. You're going to go and be my spokesperson to the Pharaoh to draw out my people. And what does Moses do? In those moments, Moses starts to ask questions. He starts to challenge God. Uh, I'm not a good speaker. How are you going to talk in this matter? Okay, well, I'm going to send Aaron who's going to go with you. He's going to help communicate through you. Well, what if people don't believe me? You see that staff in your hand, Moses? Throw that on the ground. Okay, throw it on the ground. It turns into a snake. Now people are going to believe you. Here's a sign from God. If that's not enough, I'm also going to give you plagues that you're going to strike the land with. Okay, okay, so there's more questions, there's more questions. And God is fine to answer Moses' questions of logistics. It's the point where Moses says, you know what, I don't think I'm interested in this assignment. Find someone else. That's when Exodus, the book of Exodus, tells us that God's anger burned against Moses. He didn't get mad at Moses when he asked logistics questions. He got mad at Moses when he said, no, I'm not interested in the assignment. See, when God comes to us and says, here's what I want you to do. Here's a task I'm going to give you. Here's a calling for your life. Here's a message I want you to speak to people. You can ask logistics questions. How are you going to take care of this? How are you going to support this? How are you going to financially make sure that I'm able to do this? How are you going to bring people into this, this part of my world to help me have an audience to do and accomplish these things? Ask your logistics questions and wait on God to answer the questions. Here's how I'm going to do things. Here's how I'm going to open the path. Here's the next step you need to take. And every step along the way, when God reveals Himself and shows Himself, what should your answer be? It should be like, Mary, I'm the Lord's servant. Let it be to me as you've said. And then take those steps forward in faithful obedience. That's our calling. And that's where we see Mary. Mary had incredible faith. She was able to be told what was going to happen to bring in the birth of the long anticipated Messiah and to simply say, I'm your servant, let it be done. So we see Mary's incredible faith. And Gabriel told Mary, as a part of his announcement, to show her that nothing's impossible with God, he started to point at another situation. He said, Do you remember your cousin Elizabeth? who probably was like a second or third cousin in all honesty, if Elizabeth is as old as we think she was and Mary was as young as we think she was, they're probably not first cousins. There's probably a generational gap between them. But she says, uh, the angel says to Mary, do you remember your cousin Elizabeth? Even she who was barren is now in her sixth month of pregnancy. Mary, why am I telling you this? Because I want you to know that when God wants to do something, nothing's impossible with Him. Nothing's impossible, Mary, for me to tell you that as a virgin you're going to become pregnant, that's not impossible. Mary, your cousin Elizabeth is an old woman who was barren and she's pregnant. Nothing's impossible with God. God can do whatever He desires. And so Gabriel tells Mary these things to encourage her. And then look at Luke one thirty-nine. After Gabriel leaves, it, it says, At that time Mary got ready and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth." Now, I love the exchange that takes place here. Last week, we found out that Elizabeth's baby would be the forerunner of the Messiah. So Elizabeth had at least some knowledge that the child she was carrying would prepare the way for the Lord, the Messiah that was to come. But Elizabeth had no way of knowing how far in the future his preparation would come and how far later the Messiah would come. She has no way of knowing that this is going to be an immediate interaction, that John's going to be born And a few months later, the Messiah is going to be born. And so when Mary starts to visit Elizabeth, she comes in and she speaks. And I love what takes place here. And I don't know that I can do this justice, but this has been something that struck me this week in the last couple of weeks as I've been looking at this passage, that we found out last week when Gabriel told Zachariah, your son that's going to be born will be the forerunner of the Messiah. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. And so the amazing thing about that is, as far as we know, it's the only time in human history that someone has been filled with the Holy Spirit for their entire lives, that from before they were born, while they were still in their mother's womb, to the time they died, that the Spirit of God resided on them. What we looked at and talked about last week was simply that usually up until this period of time, the Spirit of God was put on certain people for certain purposes and for specific periods of time. And yet when John is coming into the world, Gabriel says to to Elizabeth, to Zechariah, your son will be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God will be on him and in him even before he's born. So Elizabeth is carrying a Holy Spirit filled child in her womb. And when Mary walks in the door, Mary's pregnant with the Son of God. Jesus has been exited from heaven He has chosen to take on human flesh and He has limited Himself. He has taken away His complete divinity and He has chosen to take on humanity as well. Now, Jesus is 100% divine and He is 100% man. But in this role, in this place, He has chosen to limit Himself. One of the attributes of God is that He can be all places at all times. That wasn't true of Jesus in the moments of His life on earth. During the 33 years that Jesus lived on earth, Jesus had limited Himself in His divinity to be like men, that He was in one place at one time. So if you can imagine Mary carrying the Son of God in her womb, that for the first time in eternity, the triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son, there's been a separation in that space, that the Son left heaven to come to earth. So the Spirit and the Father have not been physically with the Son as they have for all of eternity. And in this moment, Mary walks into Elizabeth's home with the Christ child in her womb. And Elizabeth has John, who's filled with the Spirit in her womb. And Elizabeth says, When I heard your voice, the child inside of me leapt for joy. Elizabeth understood. And John, in her womb, filled with the Spirit of God, the spirit of God recognized the Son of God coming into the room, and that for the first time in a, in a window of time, there was a of reuni- a, 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 a reunion of the spirit and the Son, even in the wombs of their parents. And so we see this take place, this exchange take place, and Mary say, or Elizabeth says the Messiah or the uh, the child in my womb kicked for joy, and then she begins to talk about and say to Mary. Why am I so blessed that you would come to me? Blessed is the child you will bear, but why am I favored that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Now listen to this. This is years before cell phones, right? Like we're talking about 2,000 years ago. Mary hadn't called Elizabeth and said, hey, by the way, I got this crazy news from an angel and I'm going to come and visit you. There was no interaction. She just walks into Elizabeth's house and the Spirit of God let Elizabeth know the child she's carrying is going to be the Lord. He is the God. That has come to save us. There's no prior warning. Elizabeth just speaks and says. You Mary are carrying the Messiah. Why is that important? Why is that so significant? Because if you would just put yourself for just a moment in Mary's shoes. Guys I know this may be hard. But if you could just put yourself in the shoes of a teenage girl. Who's a virgin and pregnant. Let's just imagine ladies what that would feel like. Let's just imagine for a second how you would feel. And even though Mary shows great faith and says, let it be to me as you've said, I'm the Lord's servant, I still have to imagine in her humanity that there's doubts and there's questions that she's asking. Can you imagine what it would be like for you? And so I imagine that Mary, even in this moment, is regardless of how faithful she is to God, regardless of how mature she is, regardless of how young she is, she's scared. And she probably still has doubts in the back of her mind. And the words of Elizabeth confirm to Mary what the angel Gabriel had said, blessed are you among women. And Elizabeth says, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord would come and see me? And it's in that moment that Mary gets it. And she goes, exactly what Gabriel told me is true and what the Spirit of God revealed to Elizabeth is true, then I'm going to be the mother of the Messiah. But the child who's come to save us is going to be born through me. And she starts to clue in, and it's at these moments when Elizabeth speaks these things that Mary begins to sing. Now, here's what I love, and I want to point this out because I think it's significant. That in every other place that we see in Scripture around this narrative, the Spirit of God fills people. It filled John. It filled Zechariah. Zechariah sings with the Spirit of God prompting him in what to say. Elizabeth, when she makes this proclamation, you're carrying the Son of God, it says right before that that the Spirit of God came on Elizabeth. Because the Spirit is not limited to being at one place at one time. That's why when we become believers in Christ, we can take God's Word to be true. that He says, uh, Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you, but because I'm going away, I'm going to send my Spirit to reside with you, to live with you. If you're a follower of Christ, you have the Spirit of God living in you. The Spirit isn't limited to one place. It's in you, and 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 it's in you. The Spirit of God is in us. He's actively working in all of us. And so he comes on Elizabeth, and she makes this statement, "You're going to have the Christ child." But then we see Mary, and the Bible just says this in Mary uh, in Luke chapter one verse forty six. And Mary began to sing, or Mary said, "It doesn't precede that with." And Mary was filled with the Holy Spirit. Mary just begins to sing, and look at the song that she sings. My soul glorifies the Lord. Some translations, and I actually, uh, I think that the NIV does a disservice to this because like we said earlier, the the song that Mary sings we know as the Magnificat because it says that my soul magnifies the Lord. The first word in the Greek is actually magnify. And yet, for some reason, the NIV translates it glorifies. It totally goes off the script. But he says, my soul glorifies or my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our, our ancestors. And so Mary's song as she sings this, you see that even though she's a teenage girl from a small town, she's insignificant. Here's what you'll notice about Mary. And the simple fact is that because this is not Holy Spirit driven, that this is just Mary singing, you start to understand Mary knows her theology. Mary knows Scripture. Mary has an intimate relationship with God. This is not the Spirit of God overpowering Mary and putting words in her mouth to speak out and to sing out. This is just teenage Mary going, I'm excited, let's sing, and here's what she starts to talk about. Look at the things that you start to understand in the passage that she highlights in her song. She just starts weaving Scripture together to make a song. The first thing you see is that she understands God's holiness. She understands God's sovereignty. She has an understanding and a a theology of His mercy and His love. She sees God as being omniscient and benevolent and graceful. Throughout this song, she's singing about the themes of the character of God. And so you start to get a, a sense and a picture that Mary knows God. That Mary loves God. And that Mary's full of a passion for God and a relationship with God. But not only that... This, this song is filled with references to Scripture. We would call it the Old Testament Scriptures. For Mary, it would have just been the Testament, right? Uh, not the Old Testament because it was all they had. And so she knows the Bible. She knows the Word of God. In her song, either directly or indirectly, indi- she quotes 12 different passages of Scripture, most of them from the Psalms. So as she just makes up this song, as she's singing, she's just weaving in Scripture that she knows into song form. She's taking psalms, and she's just weaving them in. She's talking about the mercy of God, the grace of God, the power of God, the love of God, the benevolence of God, the omniscience of God, the sovereignty of God, and she's singing and quoting Scripture. Man, what an powerful thought that she knew God's Word so fully that when the time came and there was excitement and joy, she just began singing it out. And How many 13 or 14-year-olds in the room have written songs that are just powerfully full of Scripture from the Old Testament? That's what Mary's doing. And so we see all of this take place. But when we think about these things, I would ask this question. How did Mary in a culture where women were not very well educated, where they usually weren't able to get an education, how does Mary know so much about the Bible? Well, to me, the only answer is her parents were also strong followers of God. And that her parents invested in her. Her parents taught her the scriptures. Her parents in filled in her a knowledge and a desire uh, for the Word of God. That her parents took responsibility to raise her like Deuteronomy 6 says, when they walk along the road and when they lie down and, and when they're at home and when they're out, to take moments to talk about the grace of God and the greatness of God. And I have to believe that for us as parents, it's our responsibility as well. If you have children in your home still, it is your responsibility as parents to lead them to know and follow God. That's your calling. It's our divine appointment by God to say, my responsibility is to pass along the deeds of God to the next generation so that they will know how to walk with Christ, that they'll know how to honor God in their lives. This is one of the things that is key in our family that my wife and I struggle for and strive for all the time is that we want our boys to know God's Word. We want them in moments of joy to be able to quote Scripture. We want them in moments of fear and distress to be able to quote Scripture, to be able to have things that would fill their hearts. My son right now, my youngest son, Gray, uh, he's been terrified lately. The fires that took place in Gatlinburg really scared him because now all of a sudden he thinks that our house is going to burn down. And he's terrified. Every night when he goes to sleep, it's on his mind. He's having bad dreams. He's having all these things. And so we've been just talking with him about Scripture. Grayson, did you know that the Bible says in Timothy that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind? And we're trying to help him quote Scripture before he goes to bed. Think about God's Word and His truth. God isn't giving you a spirit of fear, but power and love and a peace of mind, a strong mind. The other night we were still, and he was still like, Dad, I'm just still scared, I'm still worried about going to sleep, I'm going to have these bad dreams. And I said, well, here's, here's what one of the passages in... Paul's writing says that we should focus on those things that are lovely and noble and right and pure and excellent and praiseworthy. If anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about those things. So I said, let's just do that. I'll lay here in the bed with you. Let's just think for a few minutes about, hey, what's true? What's noble? What's pure? What are some things you know that are pure? What are some things that are excellent? What are some things that are praiseworthy? Let's think about those things. Let's let those thoughts fill your mind. He's so i don't know how many things stay with him all the time but last night he was afraid again and i just said hey do you remember any of the verses that we've been talking about that might help you just calm down some and that's what he started saying he goes i need to think about things that are true and peaceful and excellent and praiseworthy and he just started spouting that stuff out And i was like yes that's it That's what we should be doing with our kids is instilling in them the power of the Word of God that helps inform and guide their lives. And I think that's what we see in Mary, is that she had parents who had informed and instilled in her the power of God's truth so that when this moment of great joy and stress came, she was able to sing it out, that she was able to proclaim God's power. Now this Christmas... We've uh, made a decision on Christmas Day that it's a Sunday and and we want people to be able to celebrate Christmas with their family. And so uh, whether you're for it or against it, I don't know. But we've decided that we're going to cancel our Christmas Day services here at the church that Sunday. And yet, as parents and as leaders in your home, dads, fathers, if you're a single parent you've got children in your home, then it's your responsibility. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to challenge you to not just put the expectation on the church all the time to lead your family in worship, but that you would take the responsibility to lead your family in worship. And Sunday, Christmas morning, is going to be a great opportunity for you to do that. And we want to make that easy for you to do. So this week we recorded a a short video that we're going to make available on our website that on Sunday morning when you're at home with your family, you can lead worship with your family. That you can watch it wherever you are and that you can pull it up there's going to be a time for you to sing in the middle of that. There's going to be a time for you to read Scripture as a family in the middle of that. And there's going to be a short message that you can listen to and then questions to talk about. But you can take the responsibility, even though we're not gathering here as a, as a church body, as a faith family, you're still the church in your home. The Spirit of God is just as powerful in your living room as it is in this worship center. And so we're going to ask you and we're going to hope that you'll take the opportunity to lead your family on that day and so here's how i want to close up the service this morning as we talk about this song as we sing what mary sings i want to just point out two things that the message of christmas the music of christmas helps us connect with the message of christmas so what's the message that mary's communicating in this song two things the first one is this that god gives us undeserved grace look back at verse 46 Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mary says, listen, I'm nobody specific. I'm nobody in particular. I'm nobody worthy of this. God has looked on the humble state of his servant and he's chosen to do something through me that I'm not worthy of. There is undeserved grace that's being shown to me. And the same is true for us. As followers of Jesus Christ, sinners need a Savior and God provides salvation for us without having to earn His salvation. And so if you're taking notes this morning, that's the next blank on your outline, that we don't have to earn His grace. That the powerful thing about the message of Christmas is that Jesus came to us Romans says it, that Jesus came while we were still sinners. He came. He didn't wait for us to get our act all cleaned up. He didn't wait for us to make ourselves better. He didn't wait for us to say, when you get you, your lives all straight, then I'll come and we'll make everything right. He said He came to us while we were still sinners. Christ came and died for us. His grace to us is not because we earned it. It's not because we have any kind of special merit, other than the fact that we are loved by god and that he pours out his undeserved grace on us and it's grace we don't have to earn here's the second thing the second part of the song in jesus there is rescuing power mary sings of radical reversals from what our world values shifting everything we try to establish so that it magnifies god's justice for his people look at verse 50 and following mary sings his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation he has performed mighty deeds with his arm He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but He's lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but He's sent the rich away empty. He's helped His servant Israel, and He's remembered to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as He promised our ancestors. And so you see three things here, three different interactions that God has. And again, if you're taking notes, you can write these down. He'll rescue the helpless. He says, those who are helpless, I'm coming for Israel's in a state of being helpless in this moment, that they're literally captive under Roman authority and Roman occupation, and yet the worst captivity that they experienced was the captivity of sin in their hearts. So he says that the, the Son of God has come to rescue the helpless. We're helpless to rescue ourselves from sin. So God had to send a Savior. The second thing, He will exalt the humble. Then he says He will knock out rulers who rule and lead opposed to His ways, but He'll exalt the humble. That when God looks at our lives, one of the characteristics He's looking for is, are you humble? Is there humility in you that I can lift up and give a place of status? This is Mary. Mary's humble in heart. And yet God says, I'm choosing you to be the mother of the Messiah. Not because you're wealthy, not because you're powerful, not because you sit in a a castle or a throne, but because you're humble. And then the last thing is that He will fill the hungry. I think He literally does that. I think that He can take care of the physical needs that we have. But when Jesus starts to teach, we've been looking uh, in Matthew chapter 5 over the last few months at the the series, the Sermon on the Mount, and talking about uh, truths for trying times. And one of the things that Jesus teaches in the Beatitudes early on when we studied that was that uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. And I think this is what is pointed out in this song, that those who not are hungry physically, but are hungry spiritually, that there's a spiritual hunger in people that are looking for the Messiah, looking for a way to have their sins erased, who want to be changed by God. And as Mary sings, she says, the God-man who will come, the Messiah who will come, He will fill the hungry. He'll take care of that spiritual hunger. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. And so maybe that speaks to you this morning. Mary understood that her baby was coming to rescue everyone. She doesn't say, this child will come and do this for Israel and you Gentiles, you're out of the picture. She doesn't make a distinguishment there. She starts to really talk about things on an individual level because that's how God operates with us. God operates in our hearts as individuals. He says, I'm not looking at what what uh, monetary value you have I'm not looking at what class of person you're from I'm not looking to see if you're Jewish or Gentile I'm not looking to see anything other about you then do you have a desire to be forgiven of your sins and I can rescue you and I can pull you in for that so she starts to deal with individuals he scatters the proud and brings down the rulers who oppose his ways and those who would seek to lift themselves above him so here's the question to close up where do you find yourself this morning do you find yourself standing in opposition to God trying to get to heaven or trying to get to eternity on your own, in your own power, your own way? Or do you find yourself in a place of humility where you just simply would say, I'm going to humble myself before God and I'm going to accept His way. That Jesus is the one way, truth, and life, and no one can come to the Father unless they come through Him. And so maybe you would this morning say, I'm tired of standing in opposition to God. I want to humble myself before God and accept His forgiveness today. And if you would do that, it would be the most incredible way to celebrate Christmas this year by having the child that was born in a manger, to come and live in your heart. Here's what I love about the story again of Elizabeth and Mary and their interaction. The Holy Spirit of God always points to the Son of God. Always. That's one of the characteristics of the Spirit, is that He points people to the Son. He points people to the Savior. And so this morning, there may be a sense in your heart, and in your mind, and your life, there may be a sense that the Spirit of God is working in you right now. And if there's an uneasiness about your future, if there's an unknowing about if you're saved, if you are in a relationship with God through Jesus, then the Spirit of God today will point you to the Son of God and say, this is where you will find your salvation. This is where you will find your hope. This is where you will find your peace. It's only found in Jesus. And so today my question is, have you accepted Him? And if not, will you? Will you humble yourself under the rule and the reign of Jesus and accept Him as your Savior? If you want to do that today, before you leave this place, I'd love to talk to you more about that, help you understand what it means to be a Christian and help you know how to take those next steps. And so after the service is over, I'll be at a table right outside these doors to the left. Some of our church leadership will be there as well. We would love to talk to you. And we would love to help you understand more fully about what Jesus has done to bring His salvation to this world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love You so much. And I'm incredibly grateful and thankful, God, for the way that You have sent Your Son to redeem us, to give us life and hope and a future. And God, my prayer is this morning that there will be those people who who are sensing the Spirit of God leading them to the Savior. Holy Spirit, we would just ask in these moments that You would point us to Jesus and that we would be like Mary, that when we see this, that we would just simply say, I'm the Lord's servant. Do with me as You will. And that we'll put our lives under submission to You because we love You and we trust You. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.